This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Two years ago, I contracted genital herpes despite practicing safe sex and having only had three partners ever. After the initial shock of the diagnosis wore off, I returned to a normal life and now rarely think about having herpes. That is until any potential romantic interest comes up. How am I supposed to date and have a normal love life now that I have this baggage? Hey y'all and welcome to Unladylike, the show that finds out what happens when women break the rules. I'm Caroline. I'm Kristen. Another Valentine's Day is upon us. Love is in the air. And so is herpes. It's true. Y'all, herpes is super common, super manageable, and it rarely causes major health problems. But like we just heard from an unladylike listener named Patty, herpes carries a lot of mental baggage when it comes to dating. Patty's letter jumped out to us also because it seems like all we ever focus on when it comes to herpes is either how not to get it or how totally embarrassing it is if you do because it's incurable. So as our Valentine to Patty and all the listeners who share such intimate parts of their lives with us, today's episode is unladylike. The rom-com. And it does involve both romance and comedy, though probably not in the ways you'd expect. Patty also challenged us to find someone who's been through the herpes gauntlet and can offer some advice from the other side. And Caroline, we did. Nobody's like, you know what? I am a promiscuous slut. I deserve herpes. <laughs> Nobody's going to say that about themselves. It's just shitty that, like... The rest of society has a problem with you living that life, and they think that you deserve the quote-unquote death sentence of herpes. By the way, herpes doesn't kill anybody. Like, the flu can kill you. Why are we not more bothered by the people who had the flu? That's Kat. And how we got in touch with her to talk herpes? Well, that is a plot twist you'll have to wait to hear. Yep, because first, we're calling up Patty to puzzle through why— Of all the STDs, herpes fucks with our heads the most, especially when it comes to dating and romance. Then Kat will share her first-person adventures with herpes, as well as some advice all of us could use for defusing that H-bomb. Oh, and we aren't kidding. Love is in the air in this episode. Oh, really? So can you tell us what prompted you to write us that letter at the time that you did? Yeah. So I work in the natural resources, um, specifically with river assessment for the Bureau of Land Management. And that takes me to basically the middle of nowhere every summer. 
We talked to Patty over Skype. She lives in a small town near Yosemite National Park in California. Last summer, though, her work took her to backcountry Utah. And then I had my second outbreak of general herpes. And I was just so bummed because I had to work in this desert setting and camp every night. And it's like having a breakout is not a comfortable experience. And getting the antiviral medication in conservative rural Utah, where 90% of the population is Mormon, was so uncomfortable. And I was just, I was very frustrated and tired of feeling like I really couldn't have a conversation about this with anyone, definitely not my field partner. And only one of my close friends even knows that I have genital herpes. And so my email came out of frustration and definitely a desire to just feel a little bit more camaraderie than I do currently. (laughs) I feel pretty isolated. Well, you know, Caroline, Patty and I have something in common because long before she ended up in the middle of that Utah desert, like me, she was a homeschooler who kind of had to figure out sex ed on her own. Yeah, she took a sex ed class for school online, but it wasn't exactly comprehensive. Patty didn't let that stop her from learning more, though. She turned to any resources she could find. So definitely cosmopolitan to understand more about just sex in general, about how people approach it, etc. And then more academic sources like the CDC and the NIH for actual like STD, STI information and other things relating specifically to health. So it sounds like you were proactive with your sexual health. Yeah. I mean, I was really curious and I felt like it was important, even though at that time I wasn't having sex When Patty did start having sex, she kept being proactive. She used protection. Which is why Patty was pretty shocked when one day things didn't really feel right. I went to a really large university that required me to ride my bike to class. Um, And then one day I was riding and I felt something like a sharp pain pretty much right on my clitoris. And I was like, "This this is really odd. Like, I don't think I... I didn't fall off my bike. I haven't hit that part of my body. Like, what's going on? After days of intense pain and getting misdiagnosed twice, Patty went to the ER. I had an emergency room technician examine me, and they were incredibly rough and not, I don't know, it just, they weren't very patient when I was, like, explaining the circumstances. And they took a swab, and they're like, well, it looks like you have genital herpes. Do you know what that is? yeah, I I do know what that is. And they sent it in for lab test. A couple days later, I got a call that confirmed the diagnosis. The herpes simplex virus comes in two strains, HSV-1 and HSV-2. Patty was diagnosed with HSV-1. That's the one that's typically associated with oral herpes, but it can also cause genital outbreaks. So what did you think when you were in the ER and the rude, it sounds like, uh, (laughs) ER text said it looks like it might be genital herpes? I think in that moment, it was a confirmation of what I already knew. Um, But when they told me, it was definitely uh, just this sinking feeling. It's like, okay, this is something that I have to deal with for my entire life. So Kristen, I have HPV. 
And so I totally sympathize with that sinking feeling, you know, when you hear that you have an STI or an STD that's going to be with you for the rest of your life, like, it can be a mindfuck. Well, and that's also how we're kind of culturally conditioned to feel about it, you know? And whether we're talking HPV or HSV, people with vaginas are likelier to contract it. In fact, around 25% of American women have genital herpes. So why are vaginas more vulnerable? Well, herpes spreads by basically getting under our skin. You need skin-to-skin contact and in an area where the virus can actually penetrate the skin. It just so happens that compared to peens, vagines are more susceptible to herpes transmission because that tissue down there is more porous and prone to tiny nicks and tears. But the vast majority of folks who have herpes are never actually diagnosed because the virus is sneaky as fuck and it can be completely asymptomatic. So you might have zero symptoms or just like one outbreak ever, while other people might have to manage recurrent outbreaks for the rest of their lives. It's a real grab bag. But when it comes to treatment, you know, there are antiviral medications that can help reduce the likelihood and symptoms of an outbreak, but there's no cure for either strain of herpes. You gotta live with it. Patty's care providers in the emergency room, though, they didn't quite get to this level with her. There was no conversation of, are you okay? Are you, like, are there any questions that you have about not just the physical presentation of it, but how this might affect you throughout your life? There was none of that. And I think it was just this, like, incredibly isolating experience where I didn't feel like I could reach out getting a little emotional even thinking about it. The first outbreak cleared up after about a week of treatment with antivirals. And it was almost two years before Patty had her second outbreak over the summer. And it's not like Patty could ignore it in the meantime. There was still the issue of disclosure. Yeah, Patty was pretty confident she knew the guy she'd contracted it from. Although, when she brought it up to him, he wasn't so sure. The guy was just kind of frustrated and said, well, I've never had an issue with this. It couldn't have been me that gave it to you. And um, basically, he was just really defensive. Now, remember, like we just said, you can be an asymptomatic carrier. But to this guy's credit, he did go to the doctor to try to get tested. But since he didn't have any visible symptoms at the time, his request for a blood test was denied. And y'all, this is actually pretty common because of the high rate of false positives. But even if that guy had been like, yep, Patty, you got me. I totes have herpes and gave it to you. That wouldn't have magically cured her concerns regarding future flings and more importantly, future relationships. I don't think I felt sexual for at least a couple of months. And then, like, I I definitely, I feel sexual now, and I definitely think about having relationships or partnerships with other people. But whenever I go down that path and get excited about it, this thing just pops back in. It's like, oh, wait a second. This is something that I have to include in the equation. It's not just about being attracted to another person anymore. It's figuring out how to tell them about this issue while also maintaining a relationship. This is Patty's biggest hurdle. Having this incurable STD feels like an indelible mark against her, a potential deal breaker waiting to happen, which often like contracting herpes, we have little control over. 
It's not just a patty thing either. A 2004 study in the New England Journal of Medicine described the psychological impact of being diagnosed with herpes, basically how we internalize the stigma of having herpes, as, quote, far more severe than the physical consequences. Yeah, shock, anger, guilt are all common side effects. And the study noted that herpes can interfere substantially with relationships. In fact, while Patty was going through all of this stuff, going to the hospital and getting misdiagnosed and then correctly diagnosed, she had just started dating someone new, but they hadn't gotten very physical yet. I could not bring myself to tell the person that I had herpes. And I think, in a way, it was probably a good thing that I got herpes and I had to have that conversation with myself is like, am I comfortable telling this other person? Do I think that they're going to respect me even though this is something new that I'm dealing with? Will they support me through this incredibly emotional process? And the answer was no. And so I ended up breaking up with that person. Next time, Patty decided to take a different approach. A few months later, started dating this other person. And before we even got physical outside of just kissing, um, I, I said, I, there's something I really need to tell you about and explained the condition and the risk factor on his part. And he was incredibly understanding and didn't make me feel bad about the diagnosis at all. But while I was telling him, I was definitely apologetic. And I must have said something along the lines of, I'm so sorry that this is something that we even have to talk about. And while we never we never did have sex, I broke up with him before that. And I think one of the reasons I broke up with him was because I felt uncomfortable being that vulnerable. And the only other experience I've had with another person since then was hooking up with my neighbor <laughs> in college. And it was a very short conversation of this is something I have. And he's like, I don't care. And I don't think that I will ever hook up with a person again. I just did not. It wasn't very gratifying for me in any way. Is it sort of the thing of the payoff for the amount of vulnerability that it takes for you to disclose is not kind of worth just like a a one night stand? Exactly. The vulnerability is not worth the the pleasure of that experience. And in that case, there wasn't even, it wasn't a pleasurable experience for me because I was concerned about it the entire time. It was basically all I was thinking about. And so that's not, that's not fun while you're having sex. (laughs) But this more emotional side of herpes, like internalizing that stigma, is something that Patty says really holds her back. She avoids dating because she doesn't want to broach the topic, and she's hesitant to even share her struggles with friends. Why do you think that you haven't confided more in people? I think that I like to present myself as a really strong person, and I don't like feeling any vulnerability. Even with people that I really trust and love, it's hard for me to expose myself. And this feels like particularly, it just has so much stigma attached to it. And although I know that they won't judge me for it, it's, it's hard to believe that completely when telling them just opens up so many questions. And I don't know if I feel prepared to answer all of them. I just, I don't want to feel, um, 
I don't want to feel blamed for it. And I also don't want to feel apologetic for it because I, I don't, I didn't do anything wrong. And Patty didn't do anything wrong, nor should she feel apologetic. But that pressure is real. And so is the stigma. Yeah. And, you know, in all her research, she hasn't found much about dealing with this side of things, like the awkward conversations, that sense of a power imbalance in relationships, the complicated dating dynamics, the shame. So Patty wanted to know if we could help. Could we find someone who's been there, done that on Dating with Herpes? Yeah, I think my main question is, how do you remain empowered through disclosing that you have herpes to a partner? How do you prevent yourself from falling into that apologetic trap that I think we as women face in so many of our interactions with other people? Um, How do you maintain dignity and self-respect? Well, we really appreciate you being willing to talk to us and and share because this is this is such an important conversation to have. Yeah, you're welcome. And I'm so glad that this is an episode that you're actually doing because I know there are so many more people affected by this than we realize in our daily lives. And so hopefully it makes a difference for some of them. Well, Patty, you inspiring gem. Unladylike said we'd help, and we shall. After the break, we'll also unpack some herpes claptrap and get into the calm part of this herpes rom-com. Stick around. We're back. And Kristen, we didn't have to look far for someone we thought would have excellent dating with herpes advice for Patty. No, we did not, because it turns out that Patty isn't the only unladylike listener we've heard from about this. In your email to us, you wrote, one has to be courageous to live with an incurable disease. Uh, And we wanted to know if your experience has made you more courageous. Um, definitely. Before I, I felt very meek. <laughs> I I felt like I had to apologize constantly about everything. I was always trying to make myself smaller, and not be an inconvenience to anybody. And once I got herpes, it was really liberating because I'm like, well. <laughs> Like, I got this now. (laughs) I better go overcompensate in other ways. (laughs) And it makes you realize that you deserve to take up space because there's going to be a lot of people who tell you otherwise. And you can't believe that claptrap. Not for a minute. Kat was first diagnosed with herpes five years ago. And she knows exactly the kind of mental pain that Patty's been grappling with. I just couldn't see myself as a viable option anymore for anybody who in their right mind. I was like, why would anybody want to willingly take that risk? And it was a deep, dark spiral. Before we learn more about Kat's story and the advice she has for Patty, Caroline, it's time to unpack the claptrap of why herpes stigma, not its physical symptoms, is really the thing to survive here. (music) 
Unpack the Claptrap is the part of the show where we look through our feminist microscopes at the virus called patriarchy. For thousands of years, the medical patriarchy has pathologized the female body as a defective, disease-ridden knockoff of the male. Before we figured out how diseases actually spread in the 19th century, it was just assumed that women's wicked little bodies cooked up STDs. And the more penises they met, the more STDs they (laughs) spread around. Cool, 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 science bros. Meanwhile, when it comes to herpes specifically, its bad reputation is shockingly recent. Before the 1980s, genital herpes was often like this side note in stories about other viruses in the herpes family, like chickenpox and shingles. Scientists didn't even distinguish the herpes simplex virus as types 1 and 2 until the late 1960s. But once researchers figured out one type was likelier to cause genital herpes, that'd be HSV2, some very unscientific ideas began spreading. For instance, a news report from 1973 noted how, and I quote, unlike the basic herpes simplex, which strikes indiscriminately, type 2 appears to exercise moral judgment, tending to afflict primarily the sexually promiscuous. What? Talk about viral slut shaming, right? I know. Then, in 1982, two major things happened. Prince William was born... And across the pond, America lost its shit about herpes. That's right. That spring, the CDC reported a nine-fold increase in physician consultations for genital herpes between 1966 and 1979. Around the same time, the first effective treatment for herpes outbreaks hit the drug market. What's important to keep in mind is that pharmaceutical companies promoted these emerging meds as providing peace of mind for patients, essentially leveraging STD stigma to start getting physicians to buy in. That laid the groundwork for the media to take the so-called herpes epidemic and run wild. Oh, girl, did they. All right, so picture this. An August 1982 Time magazine cover with this nervous-looking white couple and a giant capital H splashed across them. The headline reads, Herpes, today's scarlet letter. That cover story about herpes essentially framed it as a biological backlash to the sexual revolution. One line in it offers a major clue as to why herpes panic attracted so much mainstream media attention at the time. And I quote, Frequently, herpes seems to strike nice, healthy, educated, clean-cut Caucasians of the middle and upper classes. Glad they specified nice. Yeah. Meanwhile, the New York Times was reporting how all those yuppies being diagnosed with herpes, quote, must endure an emotional crisis so distinct in its assault on their sense of worth that psychologists speak of a herpes syndrome. Which sounds a lot like that internalized stigma that Patty and a lot of people living with herpes today still grapple with. Although back in 1982, it sounded like the whole country had kind of come down with herpes syndrome because, get this, a national survey from that year found that 30% of Americans said they'd tend to avoid associating with someone with herpes, and 77%, I say that in all caps, y'all, agreed that people should have to be tested for genital herpes before they get married. It tracks, then, that the mid-'80s is also when we get the first celebrity herpes lawsuits going to court. In 1986, a woman actually sued Robin Williams for $6.2 million for giving her herpes. It was this huge tabloid scandal back then. And if you Google Usher today, 
you'll see that herpes lawsuits still generate a ton of buzz. Meanwhile, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the medical community also had been insisting that the panic was way out of proportion to how manageable the disease is. Plus, by the late 80s, the actual epidemic of AIDS helped put the overblown herpes mania in perspective, and the media frenzy kind of cooled off. But that scarlet H stain has stuck around. Only now it's, like, funnier? Yeah. These days, we typically hear about the STD as either a cautionary tale or a joke. Herpes really became a pop cultural punchline in the 90s when the FDA started allowing pharmaceutical companies to advertise medications like Valtrex on TV. And those commercials were just as ripe for parody as old school douche ads. Here's Amy Poehler and Alec Baldwin on SNL. When my gynecologist told me I had genital herpes, I was confused. We'd been married for over 12 years and had always tested negative for STDs. But then I read about a recent scientific study that said some forms of genital herpes remain dormant in women for 10 or 15 years, and that oftentimes the virus went undetected in tests. That would explain a lot. It made little sense to me that two married people without any history of genital herpes could then suddenly be infected. But then I explained it and that was the end of it, and there was no need to talk about it. And listen, remember that plot twist we mentioned earlier about how we got in touch with Kat? So the whole reason we found her was because she emailed us about an STD joke that popped up in a blooper outro in Unladylike. That episode, How to Ride a Bike, is about women bicycling and street harassment. And at one point, I offered some fake tips for catcall-proofing yourself. Take off your underwear in public. (laughs) Tell a stranger about your STD. Kat wasn't amused. In her email to us, she wrote, It's always frustrating to me when the public dialogue on STDs, even from well-meaning sources such as yourselves, tends to be a joke at the expense of the diseased or a manual on how to avoid contracting it. She went on to say, Getting sick has had a silver lining for me and that it's forced me to look for silver linings, to only allow kind and supportive people in my life, to educate the people I love through unflinching honesty and patience, to take better care of myself, especially my body, and to not let anyone make me feel less. Kat really knows how to write a good email, y'all. And not only did she seem like a total unladylike herpes hero, but also like the perfect person to give Patty the advice she's seeking. So we called her up. Kat, I would like to start with an apology (laughs) to you and Unladylike listeners. After reading your letter, I went back and listened to the episode. And uh, what I say is, tell a stranger about your STD. And the thing is, that's exactly what you did, Kat. You really took time to share your experiences and frustrations and just the realities of living with an STD. So first of all, just thank you for taking the time to do that. And also, what prompted you to write us? Um, Well, first of all, thank you for having an awesome show. (laughs) I think the reason was, is like, it really was the way you worded it when you said, tell the stranger about your STD. And I'm like, ah, I know it's a joke. And like, there are so many STD jokes, like so many. And I didn't realize how many until I actually got herpes. And I'm like, I can't watch Hulu anymore. (laughs) 
Okay, Caroline, before talking to Kat, I had never really noticed how herpes jokes are all over the place. Same. But as it turns out, we could probably fill an entire Unladylike episode with them. I'll tell you one thing that always lasts forever. Friendship? Herpes. It's gross, and it is horrible. Google image search it. It's disgusting. Like, you realize, regardless of what happens in his presidency now, Donald Trump will leave a mark on this country for decades to come. He's giving America judicial herpes. <laughs> there is no cure for what you have. Oh, my God! I got learning herpes? I got the gift that keep on giving? Boy. Those jokes really are everywhere, you know? We've even seen them described in one piece as the last acceptable taboo that you can poke at in pop culture. Why do you think that those punchlines are so common and still get a laugh? I think people love to be edgy and taboo, especially when they're in entertainment. And it's easy to pretend that it's a victimless crime because what are you going to do? Are you going to actually like out yourself in the defense of like, okay, I have herpes or I have, you know, said STD. And on the other side of that is if you don't say anything, it's just going to keep happening and it sucks. But you don't want to rock that boat. And it's a pretty shitty boat. (laughs) It should be capsized. (laughs) Hell yeah, it should. Okay, so clearly Kat is the captain of this mission. But she hasn't always been steering her own ship with so much confidence. It's taken her over five years of living with herpes to get behind that wheel. And how'd she do it? We'll find out after the break. We're back with Captain Cat, navigating the choppy seas of STD stigma. And contracting an STD as a woman? Cat had been raised to never become one of those kinds of girls. I'm Puerto Rican. I come from a background where, like, we invented machismo. So coming from that, it instantly makes you meek. It instantly makes you vulnerable. And if you go around participating in quote-unquote risky behavior, then, you know, like, that's on you. Like, it's, you're at a disadvantage any way you slice it when you're looking at yourself through other people's eyes who have all these crazy antiquated ideas. Like a lot of us, Kat didn't have the most comprehensive sex ed growing up. The part she remembers most is the health class slideshow. You know the one. They picked the worst pictures imaginable. And, you know, every STD gets two pictures, you know, the male picture and the female picture. And they find the worst case of herpes they can just to set you straight. Well, so what what did you think of herpes or what did you know about it or think about it? Like, did you think that it was some dirty, scary thing? Um, I think that when I was in high school, I did. But then I grew up and I took more health classes in college. And then, you know, I had I was lucky enough to have friends who were comfortable enough with me to talk to me about their herpes. So I remember after having the initial conversations, I, I did what every good friend should do. And I scoured the Internet <laughs> so I could find out more about it so I could hopefully not like put my foot in my mouth and ask a stupid or uncomfortable question or say something, like, terribly insensitive. Kat learned enough about herpes through her research that years later, when she started feeling weird, she had an idea about what might be happening. So Kat has HSV-2, which tends to cause more frequent and intense outbreaks than HSV-1. 
Her first outbreak, she said, was preceded by the worst flu symptoms she'd ever encountered. Now she keeps things under control with antivirals when she needs them, and a lot of ongoing work. For Kat, managing her herpes has meant changing her diet. No more gluten, chocolate, or peanut butter, and taking other day-to-day precautions. I can't just go for a swim and then, like, lay out in my wet bathing suit and let the sun hit me. Like, I, no soggy clothes, too much cold, too much heat, you name it. I'm like, <laughs> everything has to be just right. I'm a little Goldilocks. But Goldilocks' cat was only starting to sift through the mental claptrap that her diagnosis unloaded. At the time of her first outbreak, she was in a relationship with someone. They ended up splitting, not because of the herpes. They just weren't really meshing. But Kat says that it was hard. She did have a little voice in her head that was like, oh no, what if this is your last shot and you're throwing it away? There was that moment in time, I think, that most of the people who are in a relationship with herpes or with the person who they got herpes from or whatever, where you're like, if I end this relationship and I want to have another one, (laughs) how's that going to go? So, you know, I had that moment and then I'm like, it's not, I'm not going to stay in a bad relationship because I might be undateable. I'm like, that's insane. Eventually, Kat got back out in the dating world. First, she stuck to online dating. It was easier to tell people she had herpes while they were still chatting online and the stakes felt lower. But one of the first people she hit it off with didn't react so well. Yeah, he freaked out. He was like, why are you on this dating site and how can you talk to me like this and like get me to like you? And then like when you know that you're sick and then like he calmed down and he asked me a whole bunch of like really pointed, really like inappropriately worded questions. And I was like, wow, that's not very nice. But, you know, I'm going to answer you because I've got nothing to hide and you need to learn something. So I answered his questions, and then later after he came back and he's like, well, I still like you. And then, you know, after a little bit, he completely ghosted and freaked out again, and I was like, okay. Like, all of the worst-case scenarios that you read about when you research, you know, like, dating with herpes, they all happened with this guy, like, all at once. That hit Kat pretty hard. She got kind of depressed, and that in turn made her herpes symptoms worse. So next, she tried a dating website exclusively for people with herpes, hoping she'd find a community of folks who, you know, got it. And that was horrible. Why why was it horrible? You find out really, really quickly when you have these conversations with these people. They're interested in just having sex. Like, (laughs) it's turned into an easy way to have sexual relationships with people without the discomfort and the rejection. Kat wasn't looking for a quickie. She wanted a partner. And if she was going to find one, she was going to have to keep having these conversations. And over time, Kat realized that this new step in her dating life might actually be useful. The one silver lining that I got from my diagnosis is that It is like an amazing bullshit filter. (laughs) Like, whoa. Like, you really find out who you need to keep in your life and who you just need to, like, open the door and be like, that away. (laughs) Just keep on walking. (laughs) (laughs) The bullshit filter worked. Today, Kat lives with her current boyfriend. He's a poet. She's a visual artist. They share the same politics and personal quirks. 
But things started out platonic. Yeah, when Kat confided in him about having herpes and the struggle she was having in her dating life, it brought them closer. And to be honest, I think that if I didn't have herpes, I wouldn't be dating him. And it sounds crazy, but it's true. Really? Yeah, because we're both so awkward. (laughs) (laughs) And we are both so, like, left of center that I think we would have just got lost in this tangle of will they, won't they, and the does he, does she, like... We would have done that song and dance forever and a day if we didn't have these, like, really serious, really pressing conversations where, like, you know, we had to be honest and forthright with one another. So him actually, like, having these conversations were a clear sign, you know, that he cared about how I felt and that he cared about who I was. And my telling him these things, like, made him really consider me as a partner, not just a friend. And he decided that he was interested. And we've been together ever since. See, we told y'all there'd be romance. Yes, it's a herpes love story. That also raises the question of sex. And how do you continue having a healthy, full sex life with herpes? Very carefully. <laughs> um, first of all, with, in my relationship, I am incredibly in tune with my body. Like, that's that tingle, you know, or that's I feel something going on. So when those alarm bells start going off, then, like, maybe just kiss. Maybe just cuddle, you know. Don't take it there. Don't let it escalate to sex unless you're 100% sure that you are not going to have an outbreak or, like, in the middle of one. So how how do you set the tone, then? Um, I've always been, like, very frank with my boyfriend. I'm like, listen, <laughs> I'm feeling a little icky. I don't know what's happening, but, like... Maybe date night tomorrow, <laughs> once I know for sure. And if not, we'll we'll schedule accordingly. Like, it's always light. It's always playful. But I have found that when you are that person who sets the tone for how you're going to interact with someone, you're going to be very frank and very uh, open and candid, then the people that you're being frank and candid with feel the same comfort level, you know, in time. They feel comfortable enough to have those conversations with you. You know, Caroline, herpes or not, what Kat's describing sounds like a super healthy sex-positive relationship. Right? I mean, you've got trust, communication, ongoing consent. So we asked Kat, what's her advice for someone like Patty who could use some perspective on dating with dignity, self-respect, and herpes? I would tell her, don't feel like somebody rejecting you changes your value. Nothing takes that away from you, not even herpes. You still have the same value. You're still the same person. But understand that everybody deserves to be in a relationship where they're valued and they're treated with dignity, and everybody deserves to be in a relationship where they feel safe. And if that person that you're trying to be in a relationship with or you're talking to legitimately does not feel safe because of this with you, then that's on them, and it's all right, and That's just not the relationship for you. And lastly, I would say that 
once you've got yourself sorted out and you feel comfortable and you feel comfortable enough to have the conversation with someone, have it up front. It doesn't have to be first date conversation, <laughs> but don't wait too long because it gets harder and it's not fair to you and it's not fair to them. Kat says a thing that helped her brave the I have herpes convo up front was arming herself with facts. And hey, I mean, Patty's got a head start on that. She does. But what the stats don't tell us, though, is how to quiet those Scarlet H head games. How do you avoid falling into that apologetic trap of, like, internalizing the stigma yourself and feeling that you need to apologize to a potential partner for it? I would tell her to remember that this person might have herpes and not even know it. So <laughs> don't apologize for existing with a disease that's inconveniencing you. Like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> like, don't apologize for that. You're not doing anything to them. You're not even ruining their date, you know? You're not an inconvenience to anybody because of this. You're not damaging anybody's life because of this. You have just as much right to exist and occupy space and have a full life as anybody else. Remember that. So Kristen, right after we interviewed Kat and Patty, I went to the doctor for my annual physical and I ended up getting a positive result for HSV2. And I was low-key freaking out, not too bad. Um, so I went back, scheduled, you know, a follow-up, got a, a second test, and it was negative. I'd, I had received a false positive HSV2 test. Well, one, that sounds like a total emotional roller coaster. But two, I guess great timing to have Two rad women like Patty and Kat, like, fresh on your mind? Oh, absolutely. And the thing about talking to these women, like, I knew even if that test were to come back positive and if the second test were to come back positive, like, I knew that I had these role models out there, basically, of how to just still live my life and not be bogged down by the shame of it. And when I explained that thinking to my doctor, she said how pleased she was because we could all use more empathy. Totally. And Caroline, our hats have to go off to Patty and Kat because if they hadn't reached out for two very different reasons, our unladylike rom-com wouldn't have happened. So this episode really is a valentine, not just to living with herpes, but also hopefully listeners, you feel like it's a valentine to all of y'all. You share so many details in, in your lives, and it really does matter to us. So this Valentine or Galentine, even if you might feel alone, know that we are here listening. So get in touch. Have you wanted a little more empathy when dealing with an STD diagnosis of your own? Are you dating somebody with herpes? Maybe you have a great tactic for dropping the H-bomb. Let us know. You can email us at hello at unladylike.co or find us on social at unladylike media. You can also check out our website unladylike.co for all of our sources and resources for this episode. And we also have a ton of fun stuff like our shop that features cozy sweatshirts and koozies and pins that flick off the patriarchy. And also be sure to check out our book, Unladylike, A Field Guide to Smashing the Patriarchy and Claiming Your Space. 
Abigail Keel is the senior producer of Unladylike. Nora Ritchie is our associate producer. Mixing and sound design is by Casey Holford. Gianna Palmer is our story editor. And Ash Sanders transcribes our tape. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Jenny Radlett. Special thanks to Talia Blake for recording Cat, Dr. Mary Spongeberg, and Ella Dawson. And we are your hosts, Kristen Conger and Caroline Irvin. Next week, as a, a dropper of gems, a giver of advice, a speaker of truths. <laughs> I so- You sound like you're announcing me as Khaleesi. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I am. <laughs> Khaleesi and comedian Amanda Seals joins us to drop some gems of wisdom about being in your 30s. Don't miss this episode, y'all. Make sure you're subscribed to Unladylike in Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. And remember, got a problem? Get Unladylike. Yes. Yes. Yes, Caroline. It's a herpes love story. Or do I need to say it sexier? Stitcher. <laughs>